we're really just a steward, which I think sometimes we can think like, oh, I'm just a steward of this. But if we're truly a steward, you know, I think we're mostly acting as an owner. And when you're acting like an owner, that's when you're not sleeping at night. That's when you're stressed. But when you can truly be a steward over what God gave you and know that he's in control and you're listening to what God's telling you to do and you're obeying, like it's one thing to like know your next direction, but then not obey and -hmm. and move in that direction. But you're obeying, you know that it's not your responsibility. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I have an episode with Kara, and we're going to be discussing a trip that we took recently to Hobby Lobby, where we got to spend two days with David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, and some of his sons, his grandkids. What an amazing, amazing trip. We're going to talk about our top takeaways. This was just one of those uh, meetings that was so mind-expanding, so excited to get into it. So excited uh, to talk about this today. I think, you know, I think that this that weekend, last weekend, was is probably going going to go down as a pivotal time in our lives of changing um, the way that we do things. You know, you just have certain weekends or certain trips or certain masterminds that you're a part of. And I can think back in my life. I mean, there's many like impactful things we've been to, but there's probably five in our lifetime that I knew after that weekend, things would never be the same and just really shook me almost to my core. Yeah. You know, one of the things that made me realize how big of a room we were sitting in. We went in the day before because Pete Vargas from the Wellspring, he's got this big vision, which I won't go into that right now, but John Maxwell was in the room the day before the Hobby Lobby event. And we were meeting about this thing that Pete wants to launch. And John Maxwell asked that day if he could stay for the the legacy meetings at Hobby Lobby over the next couple of days. And when I realized that like John Maxwell wanted to stay and stay in that room, it was one of those moments for me where I was like, this is insane. Like I met literally one of my heroes that has shaped the way that I think from an early age. And he's just sitting in that room for the whole second day, just learning. And I was like, man, number one, we're all the same. We just want to learn. But that was such an impactful thing. And the comment that he made about David Green being a modern day Solomon and just you know, the honor of being in that room, it was such a huge um, pivot point for me. Yeah. When you can sit with somebody and, you know, I honestly didn't even know who David Green was. (laughs) If I'm being completely honest, I obviously have went into Hobby Lobbies before, but I didn't know who he was. And to be in a room with somebody who has built an immense amount of wealth, you know, he's worth like $8 billion. Um, That's huge in in and of itself. But to sit and listen to somebody with that was so humble. Mm-hmm. There was not an ounce of ego inside of him um, and just loves God, loves his family so much and is such a generous person. I just don't think, you know, he truly is a modern day Solomon. And if you don't know who Solomon is, it's a man that was in the Bible 
who was considered to be the wealthiest on today's terms, the wealthiest man that has ever lived. And people would travel from afar to learn from him because of the wisdom that he had. And I truly think that that is who David Green is. Yeah. And just, you know, some of the the way that he looks at life and business in general, just, yeah, just a very, very humble. I mean, he just hung out with us, even when we were doing like the other work and lunch and everything else. He just, it just made me realize that um, there's, there's people that are chasing different things. And, and to your point, like he just, the family, um, the freedom, it's not about the money for him and even just work, like the way that he loves work. It's just crazy. So what was your, let's, let's get into the takeaways. What was your, uh, what was one of your top ones? Well, I know we probably are going to have some that crossover. We definitely will, but he made a comment. He was talking about his mother and his, his, he came from a family that was, didn't have wealth at all. They were, he was a pastor's kid. So they barely were surviving financially speaking, but they were very giving. And his, he made a comment and he said, what are true riches? And true riches are when you want for nothing. And that statement right there was just, it really shook me because so many times, you know, when you're learning about money, when you're learning about investing, when you're growing your business, it's easy to get caught up in numbers and in lifestyle and, and what that looks like instead of when you're wanting from nothing for nothing, that's true riches. When you're, you don't need any more, you're content. And there's something to be said about being content and, um, and appreciating where you are. And that doesn't mean you don't continue to grow. Like obviously, you know, he continued to grow. He built this amazing company as like 45,000 employees. So he's not being playing mediocre, but his reasoning behind it was so different than just, you know, I want to own a jet or I want to have this really amazing house. And that, I don't know, that statement right there of like true riches is when you want nothing, you want for nothing. Yeah. It's so good. They made a, so one of my top takeaways um, they were talking to him and Bill high and, and he was, um, discussing, they said one of the problems with business in America in general is that we're built to sell and not necessarily built to last or built for legacy. And what you know, one of my favorite authors is Jim Collins. He wrote good to great. And then he wrote another book called built to last. And it just kind of brought me back to that because I remember, the early days of running businesses and, and just reading and, and, and thinking literally that I was going to spend the rest of my life, like building this business. I had no intentions when we started that business of selling it. But then like my, my thinking over the last, you know, 10, after we sold that business, my thinking has really been like, build this portfolio, sell it, build this company, sell it. I've even said this, like I, you know, we start thinking in, uh, 10-year terms and then and then five-year terms. And that's just the psychology. And it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong, but it kind of brought me back to what they were talking about when they said that the issue with, with America is that we're built to sell and not built to last or built for legacy is that we're not thinking about the second generation or the third generation. I even spoke last year at one of BDR's events and I was talking on the subject of demystifying private equity to a room full of HVAC company owners. And the thing that I told them is I've been on both sides of the coin. I was an owner who went through the process of selling, potentially selling to a, a big private equity group. Um, that deal fell apart, but then we ended up exiting. But then also I've been on the other side of it where I own private equity and, and we go buy, you know, portfolios of properties and I eventually want to get into buying businesses. So I've been on both sides of this. And as I was talking to the owners, you know, I told them in this talk that I did, 
on demystifying private equity, that the thing that we need to be thinking about is whether you're building it to sell or whether you're building it to keep it, it's the same outcome. You want systems, you want processes, you want to maximize profitability. You want to have the best employees because if private equity is going to buy something, they want to buy something that doesn't need you as like the linchpin of everything where you're the bottleneck. And when they were talking about that, I'm like, gosh, I even, I spoke to a whole group on this, but it never like clicked for me that one of the issues is we need to be thinking about our business from a long-term perspective. Doesn't mean you need to own it for a hundred years, but the reality is the way you think about that business or investment or whatever it is, it should be long-term. Yeah. I think thinking of like the legacy piece of it, um, which probably is my next, my next takeaway that ties in with what you're talking about is the legacy piece of, you know, you're not just thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking about the exit. You're not thinking. And I think that this is where people struggle with this and why maybe America has shifted because a lot of people didn't want to be in their parents' businesses, right? Like they saw their parents working their ass off and being stressed out and they didn't want to take on what their parents had built. But there's another idea. And I think that this is really cool to think about with your family and with your legacy, because one one comment that was made a lot was family is multi-generational. Mm. So when you can pass on values and you can pass on businesses and you can pass on wealth and and more importantly, the wisdom that you gain from building wealth, right? Like that's really the wealth is that wisdom that you're passing on. Um, it's a lot it's a lot different. But, you know, Matt King, he talked at our couples um, event last year and he was talking about, you know, how do you, we were, somebody asked him the question, how do you attract a leader like you to come and, you know, he's, he's employed by somebody. How, how do you attract somebody like a Matt King to come into your business? And he said, you know, you have to be elastic. Your vision has to be elastic and you have to be able to fit them inside of that vision. So I think that's where we're missing it as family owned businesses or building something to last that maybe generations want to be a part of is we're missing the piece of where do they fit in it? Because their giftings are different. Their desires are different. And so how do you create a vision that allows your family to come into a business that has different, you know, maybe even legs to it and help create something really, really amazing with your kids. And I think that's something David Green did really well. Neither one of his sons or his daughter are taking a position that he currently has or have even the desires or the interests that he has in his business, but they're both have their own business almost within that. And he's really created an an environment for them to excel and, and bring their vision to life within his world. Yeah. So good. And on the subject of Matt King, um, we are doing another event and Matt's actually going to do a workshop on legacy at the event. This is early November. So if you're interested in coming to the couples event in Austin, Texas in November, text the word event to 480-531-7519. The add-on with Matt King at the beginning is going to be part of the VIP. So I think there's only going to be 10 or 15 spots for that, but it's going to be amazing because you know, after going through that with Matt and seeing him and David Osborne do this so well, and then getting into a whole other level with a family that's worth, like you said, billions of dollars. Um, I just can't stress enough how important I think that legacy component and planning around generational wealth and getting the kids involved as early as possible um, is. So again, if you're interested in that event, just text the word event to 480-531-7519, early November, Austin, Texas. My turn, um, man, sitting 
at one point in time, one of David Green's grandsons, I believe, he's on he's the an investment guy, right? Mm-hmm. It's a grandson. Um, so he brought his grandson in as well as the guy that they hired to run their family investments. So this is stuff that's outside of Hobby Lobby and there's an entire you know investment committee that gets to vote on this stuff. But it was really interesting to me that his grandson is getting to run that, but they hired somebody who um, is a, a very experienced investment person to come in and work alongside with the grandson. So thinking about that mindset, um, to be able to go or to be at the place where you're thinking about bringing in a really high performing investment portfolio manager and coupling them up with one of your grandkids that they could just learn for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever that is. To me, that is just like, it was so mind blowing about the investment in, obviously they want their family investment fund to do well, but the investment in training Mm -hmm. the family members and letting them pick where they want to be. And then when they get excited about something, investing at all costs, even if it means hiring somebody to mentor them for five years, 10 years in order to help them be successful within the family organization, that was huge for me. Yeah, that's really awesome. Another one that stood out for me, um, and you, this is probably one of yours too, but I'm going to steal it <laughs> because it's such a good one, is the idea of stewardship versus ownership. Mm. That one really stood out to me because, you know, I believe that God has given us um, the ability to get wealth. I believe that God has given us um, the wisdom and all the resources, and I think He owns everything, and that's a belief that I've had Mm -hmm. for many years. But the way that He shifted my perspective with that of like, we're really just a steward, which I think sometimes we can think like, oh, I'm just a steward of this. But if we're truly a steward, you know, I think we're mostly acting as an owner. And when you're acting like an owner, that's when you're not sleeping at night. That's when you're stressed. But when you can truly be a steward over what God gave you and know that he's in control and you're listening to what God's telling you to do and you're obeying, like it's one thing to like know your next direction, but then not obey and Mm -hmm. and move in that direction. But you're obeying, you know that it's not your responsibility. And there's not, there's no fear when you can look at it that way, because he's in charge. And so it doesn't really matter if everything kind of goes away because it was God's, what God had intended. Right. So I think that idea, and you you might have some more to say on that of like stewardship versus ownership, but that whole idea really rocked my world too. Yeah. And I do have some more to say on that. So this is a double one on that one. Yeah. You didn't completely steal it because I can piggyback on it, but the stewardship versus ownership conversation was interesting because, but by the way, the facility that we were meeting in was a million square foot building. And this is just the executive offices. The entire campus was 13 million square feet. Yeah. Like this place was huge. Not to mention they're getting ready to open their thousandth store, I think later this year. Um, so a thousand stores across the country, they have trucking companies, they have a family investment, they got all this stuff, right? They're debt free. Amazing. It's insane. They do $8 billion a year in revenue and they're debt free. That means that every store that they own or rent, they probably lease a lot of them. That entire facility, which was ginormous, um, it's debt free. And so when we think about stewardship versus ownership, by the way, I'm I'm an advocate of debt. Obviously I have been, but it just caused me to really think about um, you know, the perspective of where we come from and, and just challenge all of my thinking. So they're debt free. 
And when you talk about stewardship versus ownership, if God owns everything, we at least have to just be open to um, other ways of doing things. And, you know, I often think, well, the best way to really grow with velocity and scale is to utilize debt. And by the way, I'm not saying that I'm not going to borrow money against real estate or any of that anymore. So that's not what I'm saying. But it just caused me to pause and think because I've often said, well, you know, or, or thought too, in order to really grow at scale and velocity, you have to have debt. But these guys started Hobby Lobby in the late 70s. And they're an $8 billion a year revenue company with no debt. And so I think I really have to challenge my thinking around, you know, you can't grow at velocity and scale without debt and leverage. And again, I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. I'm not saying I'm going Dave Ramsey style here. But also he just proved that if you focus on stewardship versus ownership, you don't necessarily need debt. He proved my um, philosophy false around that. And so it just caused me to pause and think. And then the last thing I'll say on stewardship versus ownership, I also realized and listening to him, which I won't go into the details on, you know, some of the decisions that they've had to make. But I also realized that with investors, with banks, with debt, with business partners, they've made some really challenging decisions in their business because they didn't have debt, because they don't owe a bank any money, because they don't have business partners, and because they don't have investors. And so it really caused me to pause and think, like, when you decide to take on partners, investors, banks, et cetera, um, you're not the decision maker. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be a 50% decision maker. You might be a 5% decision maker. Your operating agreement might be able to say that you get to make certain decisions. But when you want to make real moral value decisions like they've had to make, you can't do that if you have investors, banks, and partners. So again, I'm not saying that I won't have investors, banks, and partners, but it just caused me to pause and think about everything I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, even within that, maybe you're even more cautious of like who you partner with yeah. and who, who you, you know, because I think values really li- align with yeah. that, you know, like you can have a lot of, I think partnerships are amazing, yeah. right? We have lots yeah. of partnerships. We yeah. have investors, but what are the values? And I think that that's like a big conversation around that. Yeah. Um, David Green challenged my thinking in another area, you know, as a pilot, he said that, you know, we tend to want to spend all of our time at 30,000 feet. There's this, um, idea. And, you know, one of my favorite books is the E-Myth and Michael Gerber wrote this in the seventies, late seventies, early eighties. And, and it's been, this I kind of modeled, like framed my thinking work on the business, not in it. Don't be in the weeds. Like, and David Green was like, we spend too much time at 30,000 feet. We need to get in the weeds sometimes. And so again, he just challenged my thinking around it because, um, you know, he is really, really involved in the decision-making around the merchandising. He's the CEO of the company, but they have like a VP of operations. And um, he get like, his main thing is merchandising. Like he is passionate about the product that goes in the store. And he was, you know, showing us this little model he has in the mock store at, at Hobby Lobby. And it's literally a model of the store and all the stores are the same. It's like a four foot by four foot model. And he was showing us these sticky notes and he was in there on Saturday like rearranging the store. And when David goes in on Saturday and rearranges the store, whatever those sticky notes are, like the people have to come in on Monday and see what changes are being made. And they have to roll those changes out to almost a thousand stores. And he was just talking about spending too much time at 30,000 feet. And as a pilot, it just hit me. If I try to stay at 30,000 feet too long, I will run out of fuel and I will crash. 
And I think it's been one of the things that has been, I think there's these pendulums around ideas. I'm not saying that we should spend all of our time in the weeds, but when we get to the point that we're only at 30,000 feet and we don't know what's going on at the ground level of our stores, our communities, our investments, you know, out in the field with our customers. I even remember this back when we had our plumbing and HVAC company, like when was the last time I went on a ride along with a technician? I need to go on more ride alongs, but did I ever actually do it? No, Mm. because I don't have time to get in the weeds, right? Well, how do you actually know what's going on out where the customers actually exist? And so um, it's been a pattern in my life. I spend too much time at 30,000 feet, I think. Yeah, I loved that one too. And even one of his grandsons is kind of being groomed too, or is it actually his granddaughter's husband? So yeah. it's, it's like an in law, which I, that was another thing I really loved to say when people marry into their family, they become like their own. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. And I want to make sure that that continues for our family, like every person that comes in. And I think, you know, we already are like that, you know, with our son's girlfriends and, and fiancés, like, they are already a part, they already feel like part of the family. And I think that's something that I really took away from that. But I kind of digressed there for a minute. One thing he was saying is that, you know, one of the first days that he was training with him, they went out to a competitor store. I mean, he's 83 years old and he's built this billion dollar company and he's still checking out competitors and what they have going on and what they're doing in their in their businesses. And I think, you know, I don't think we have to be in the weeds on everything inside of a business because he's obviously not in the weeds on a lot of things inside of that big of a business, but he's in the weeds on what he is a master at. And I think there's something to be said of becoming a master at something and then staying there. You hire out for other things, know the pulse of your business, but stay in your seat of mastery. Um, and it, it was just really incredible to see what he's built by doing that, putting his head down and becoming a ma- I mean, it's been 40 some years. That's incredible mm-hmm. to, to see and to view. Yeah. I got one more. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the other thing that I really loved is the idea of family. Um, and actually most of the weekend was really talked. We talked a lot about family and, um, creating values with your family, inviting your family in on the journey of like, what, what does it mean to be an Ayala? What does it mean to be whatever your last, insert your own last name and just really thinking about what those values are. And so I think that that's something I'm really excited to do with our kids. Um, they're adults now, but I don't think that there's any time that you can do this later in life, that it's going to be too late. In fact, if my parents came to me and to us and said, Hey, we want to create values around what it means to be a Lislo, which is my maiden name, I would be so stoked about it. So I don't think, and I'm 43. So if you're listening to this and you feel like it's too late or maybe your kids are too young, you just start with that, like create three to five values of what your family stands for. And if they're old enough, bring them in Mm. on that process. And I'm really excited to do that with our family and just create, you know, if you think about families that we were talking about this within my family, there's certain family members that we know a lot of stories about. There's certain, you know, there's pride in like these stories. You know, my grandma came from Italy and she had this like chest. We still have the chest in the family. And then she had saved up all of this. My grandpa was out working and she kind of had this little house where she'd cook meals. And he really wanted this piece of land, which um, ended up being like our family ranch. And he was like, man, I wish I could buy that. And she's like, well, I have all your checks in this chest, right? That she had brought over from Italy and she had enough money. She hadn't spent any of the money because she had been a good steward and been creating her own income, which is so inspiring as a woman even. 
Um, but that story we tell all the time. Yep. So what are those stories that we want to continue on in legacy and thinking about not just me or not just my kids, but like my grandkids and their kids and their kids. When you can think more past when you're not even going to be here and that impact and that legacy, not, I'm not talking money. I'm talking about wisdom and values and just who they are, what it means to be that type of person. Yeah. So good. It's been amazing. I I mean, I literally probably could keep talking about this forever, but I think those were some good golden nuggets that everybody can get value from. And I'm excited to see just the fruit of what this weekend um, will do in our family and in our lives and the changes that we end up even making from this weekend um, for our future. Yeah. Well, it's been a great episode. What a you know, great couple days. And, um, you know, this, it's exciting to me because this is really why we do what we do even with the next level couple. And, um, by the way, we're going to be opening that community back up here in a couple weeks from the time you're hearing this early July. So if you're interested in the next level couple community, text the word couples to 480-531-7519, or you can go to nextlevelcouple.com and get on the wait list. Anything else about that? No, I just want to say, you know, I think there has been like a deconstruction of the family unit. Um, we, we actually went through a lot of training of how, you know, even if you look through movies um, for different seasons, like the 70s and the 80s, how the family unit has really been deconstructed and it's moved more towards this friend. We're just friends, right? There's mm-hmm. not really family units. And then you see where our culture is today. And there's a lot of families who don't have dads in their life. And in fact, you came from a broken family. You have amazing stepdad, but, um, and so there's, if you come from a broken family, there's nothing you can do about that going backwards, but how do we fix the future? How do we create family units that go into the future and create, because that's really where it stems from. And I think so many times we're looking for the business idea or the wealth building thing, but really the magic is in the family unit. And so that's why we're so passionate about empowering couples because that's really where it starts. And then the impact floods out from there into your business, into your finances, into your kids, into the next generation. Yeah. So good. So we hope to see you there. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.